everything has some intense spiritual significance. They, they find deep spiritual meaning in things that other people might find mundane and attach them to these broader concepts of what is often called spiritual warfare. Charismatic Christians are related to Pentecostals through certain spiritual practices, including divine healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues. Pew Research Center estimates that there are just over 300 million Charismatics worldwide. Religion News Service reporter Jack Jenkins has been following Charismatics as their rituals and beliefs evolve into a modern political-spiritual hybrid. Jenkins joined producer Jonathan Woodward via Skype to talk through developments in the rise of a politically strengthened charismatic movement. First off, Jack, thanks for joining us here on Beliefs. Thanks so much for having me. I was hoping you could explain a scenario that I ran across recently. And I guess it's an old term, but it's starting to take on a new life. And that's the idea of the charismatic Christians. I saw a story that you had been working on just a couple of weeks ago, and I wanted you to walk me through the event that you went to before Christmas. Okay. So it was this event that had previously been scheduled to be held at the um, the Bible Museum in Washington, D.C. And it was the Revolution 2018 conference um, for a group of what are often described as charismatic Christians. And um, the goal was for it to be held there. Then there was this initial controversy because um, some journalists at different outlets pointed out that this group often has some political overtones, um, particularly a fervent support for Donald Trump and his administration. So the event actually got shifted and uh, then took place at um, the internet, the Trump International Hotel in downtown Washington, D.C. The uh, Bible Museum still supported them insofar as they supplied buses, but the conference, you know, was occurred at a different location. Well, that has overtones of its own, doesn't it? That's um, yes, interesting. But what did you see when you got there? So um, the truth is I was only able to be there for a short spell because uh, the Trump International Hotel actually uh, didn't allow press to cover the event. Um, so I was kind of in, spoke to a few people, and then was, was you know, asked to leave um, politely. But they allowed people to do, um, journalists, or at least we did, um, view the entire conference online. Uh, and they actually, this is the same way that they reach a lot of their supporters, not just the ones that show up to the conference, but those who pay, you know, the $30 um, or more to watch the live stream of the conference throughout the multi-day event. And this is actually, you know, par for the course for this kind of charismatic community because a lot of their audience doesn't come from brick-and-mortar churches. This isn't a church group in the traditional sense. They don't have a church. They have this following that is mostly cultivated online. So we were able to kind of watch a group of charismatic Christians gather together in the Trump International Hotel. And, you know, the, you know, the first thing you see is people standing up in front of this group and uh, doing what are, you know, the hallmarks of charismatic Christianity, which include prophecy and, you know, uh, speaking in tongues, this sort of what is often called charismatic worship, um, you know, uh, alongside song and, and that sort of stuff that you would see in any other um, Christian worship service. Uh, but it didn't take long for this group to start dropping references to the Trump administration 
or the deep state and what have you, and mixing those with their theology um, uh, within Christianity. So is that, a, is that a new development for charismatics? Maybe you could just explain to me uh, where this name comes from and, and what it's meant to imply. So that's a really good question. So the truth is, charismatic Christianity is kind of a catch-all, squishy um, term, right? So it often is paired with Pentecostal Christians. Um, in fact, a lot of researchers these days will use Pentecostal charismatic as if it were one term. Technically, those groups have different theological roots. Pentecostals, you know, go back to the um, 19th century during this thing called the Holiness Movement. Um, but, you know, around the mid-20th century, they kind of, you know, mesh together. And the designation is that charismatic Christians aren't necessarily Pentecostal, but they often invoke aspects of their worship. So again, speaking in tongues or embracing um, forms of prophecy in their worship and in, you know, their spiritual life. Um, those are kind of the hallmarks of a charismatic Christian. And it's tremendously popular, particularly in uh, Central and South America, but it's also seeing something of a revival, uh, no pun intended, in the United States. And, and I, I should note that uh, charismatics um, aren't necessarily tied to one tradition. You, you actually have charismatic Catholics. That's a thing. And, you know, the, it, again, it kind of delineates a form of worship, a form of approach to spirituality that isn't necessarily tied to one denomination anymore. Is it meant to describe somehow, um, for lack of a better term, a performative quality of worship in a group or... Straighten me out on that. Yeah, in practice, um, you know, the charismatic Christianity is a deeply performative um, kind of worship. When you show up to a charismatic service, there's certainly a lot of interest, um, in energy and interest in prophecy. Um, there's speaking in tongues. You know, when you see people, you know, rolling around the ground in a spiritual ecstasy, that's often in a hallmark of a charismatic um, element. Now, the, the, the charisma, the charismatic thing actually references a Greek word, um, charisma, which is about grace or favor. So it's actually uh, referencing a, a, a religious term. But in practice, it's a whole lot of, quote unquote, holy rollers. You know, you're talking about people who were really uh, energetic in their worship service and often feel that they have a very tangible encounter with the divine in worship. Okay, so now I'm picking up on something that you're you're saying, and there seems to be an importance attached to the element of prophecy. Uh, what kind of prophecies are we discussing? Are these prophecies? Are these Isaiah prophecies? Are these are these older prophecies? Where what kind of prophecies uh, are you discussing? Well, see, this is an interesting question, and it's one of the things that makes the Trump International Hotel Conf Conference, which is put on by Lamplighter Ministries. Particularly interesting. Prophecy in the past, you know, could mean something very specific, right? In a biblical scenario where it's like this wall will fall, this kingdom will, will tumble, that sort of thing. And in a lot of charismatic traditions for some time, the, the, the prophecies are sometimes, you know, what we might think is mundane, things that about people's personal life. You know, you might, in, you know, we predict that you will encounter something in your life. The spirit will move you and move you to a different place in your life, make things better, that sort of stuff. Or you might be, you know, encountering something demonic or evil in your future, you know, that, those sorts of prophecies. But in this conference, 
they have a very they 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 aren't afraid to get explicitly political. Um, another conference that included many of the same leaders actually happened right before the midterm elections last year, and they predicted um, people who were at that conference predicted a quote unquote red wave that was going to occur um, on election day. Now that did not occur, and that actually got a little bit of a shout out during this Trump International Hotel conference, where one of the leaders you know, made a reference to the fact that the turnaround, that was a term he used a lot, um, that they expected to come in November wasn't going to happen. But he said it was going to start happening in that conference that they were at and in the Trump International Hotel. You know, and this is kind of an important thing that comes up over and over and over again in charismatic worship services and certainly was on full display at this conference, which is that, you know, everything has some intense spiritual significance. They, they find deep spiritual meaning and things that other people might find mundane and attach them to these broader concepts of spiritual, what is often called spiritual warfare, right? There were specific prophecies that were listed in, um, during this conference about how, you know, people were going to face what was described as uh, demonic confederacies in their individual states, and they had to get ready to pray and to worship against these sort of demonic acts. You know, they, they, they prayed against the deep state, you know, this reference um, the, um, to a theory among conservatives that people within the administration who've been there for a long time before Trump are actually working against Trump, this quote-unquote deep state. They prayed against that. Right. You know, they, they, they had these prophecies of, you know, this coming um, change, and they were, and they were sure that, you know, that people in that, um, in that room were sure that these would come to pass. I mean, in one, in one of the specific prophecies, they said, you know, that a that border wars, quote unquote, are beginning. And quote, the state of bipartisan rule has now shifted. Um, and that it is, you know, ta- a new day is breaking in America, right? Now, those are some vague terms, but they still have some pretty clear political resonance here in 2018 and 2019. Um, so that's the kind of stuff we were talking about at the Trump International Hotel. Okay, so taking us to the Trump International Hotel for a second, you mentioned before that there isn't there isn't uh, a tradition of, of building churches around this faith. This faith doesn't come with architecture. Yes. There is something that's unique and distinct about uh, this, this, this movement in that they are using the internet as a key tool to reach believers and followers, right? Like, it's, it's not unusual to have traveling itinerant preachers who would hold revivals in, you know, places all over the country, um, you know, dating back to the Great Awakenings of the early American era, um, where, you know, these people would just show up and the church would happen for a couple of days in a tent, and then the, and the preacher would go away. But the expectation would be that those people would still have some sort of home church they would still participate in. With these groups, some of these people who are at these conferences might have, you know, another church that they attend on a regular basis. But some of them, this might be their sustained religious practice, is to attend conferences like this. And in the interim, when they're not showing up and and praying with these, you know, what they call prophets... Um, they are, you know, getting their Instagram feeds or their Facebook feeds or their emails and having those sorts of, you know, spiritual um, jolts of energy uh, happening virtually as opposed to physically or in person. And that's a relatively new, um, new occurrence. And then there's, um, there's a deep overlap between the prophecy 
with the current political landscape uh, of America, with um, with international politics, and it it even reaches into some policy goals too, doesn't it? Oh yeah, I mean one in particular is that, and one thing that came up over and over again in this you know Revolution 2018 conference in D.C. was um, the intense interests in the state of Israel in particular. Um, you know, this group is not alone. Uh, these charismatic Christians are not alone among American Protestants with having this sort of fascination with the state of Israel. Um, there's a theology uh, referred to as dispensationalism that often attaches a special significance to the state of Israel, and that takes many different forms, uh, usually under the umbrella of evangelical Christianity, um, but it also includes you know, charismatic Christianity. But the intensity with which this group approach, approaches you know, um, dispensationalism and, and their attachment to Israel is, is you know, even unusual um, for, among their fellow you know, uh, conservative Christians. And here's an example. Uh, they, when they talk about foreign policy, and they did, you know, one of their prophets, Chuck Pierce, Chuck the prophet, um, at this conference, you know, was talking about how he travels the world, and he claimed that under the Trump administration, uh, other um, parts of the world actually like the United States more, which is debatable whether or not that's actually true. But what is true, and what he made a big point of pointing out, is that the state of Israel has a higher view of the United States. Um, under the Trump administration compared to some um, times in the past. And then he said, I think um, when it all boils down to it, that's all we really care about, isn't it? Because that's where it's all going to end up. And what he's referring to there is this belief that, you know, in eschatology or end times, the end of the world theology, that Israel plays a prominent and important and crucial role in the end of the world. Um, and so... You have to care a whole lot about Israel for um, for the end, the end of the world to come, because you know in this scenario, if the end of the world comes for these Christians, you know Jesus comes back, and they really want that to happen. So uh, it, it's fascinating because you know one example that came near the end of the um, conference is that they you know after talking about Israel quite a bit, they took a Jewish prayer shawl. Um, because there was a lot of affiliations with Judaism um, that, that, you know, they had like a menorah on stage, things like that, that come from their attachment to the, the specialness of Israel and put that on top of an American flag. And then they had two individuals hold that up and then ask participants in the conference to walk underneath them. And as they would go through, they would be anointed with this spiritual significance and people would collapse in um, spiritual ecstasy and things like that. And that's kind of overlaying this theology, um, you know, of you know, Israel being particularly special and, you know, this idea of Christian nationalism that the United States of America is particularly chosen by God in a very real, tangible way in, uh, in a worship service. So the, the political and the, the um, foreign policy stuff came up a lot. So you're describing a scenario where you've got elements of, a, of one of President Trump's rallies, which are a, sort of a unique way that we gather together uh, to express uh, political fortunes and, and encourage each other. And then you've got also a revival meeting and you've got sort of um, an exploration of different tenets 
of of a belief system regarding prophecy and a return to Israel and the unity of Israel and the United States and a decentralized church and a very healthy and active online community that brings it all together. It, it sounds like you're describing the emergence of, of a of a new church, of a whole new church, despite it being called Charismatics, are we looking at a, a whole new religion in a way? So I think that is a matter of dispute, actually, among um, religion scholars and observers of American religion, because there has been a lot of you know resurgence in research in Charismatic Christianity, and there have been scholars and journalists who are saying this is one of the untold stories of this era, is the resurgence of this group. And particularly when we start seeing, you know, things like I saw in D.C. at this conference where it's swinging directly into the political realm, um, you know, people people aren't tracking this faith tradition with a whole lot of regularity and they aren't seeing, you know, how it's developing on the ground, in part because it's hard to track. You know, like I said, they, they hold these conferences and then they don't have necessarily a, a brick and mortar Sunday service every week. So you got to really want to track them. But you're starting to see, you know, for instance, Paula White, who is one of the chief advisors to President Trump um, on faith matters. She's a, um, you know, a very successful pastor out of Florida. Um, she's affiliated with multiple different religious movements, including something that's called the Prosperity Gospel, which is a whole other conversation. But her style, her preaching style, many people have said is um, charismatic or pulls straight from Pentecostalism. And so that's kind of a mainstreaming of that tradition when, you know, the, 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 the president's personal faith advisor, who has more access than arguably, you know, many other kinds of advisors that he has to him, um, is this sort of, you know, charismatic Christian. And so it would, I wouldn't go so far as to say it's an entirely new movement, entirely new faith tradition, but the truth is there's something new that's going on there that isn't being very closely tracked. And there's a lot, to, there's a lot of evidence to argue that if it's not a, a whole different tradition now, it may be in a few years um, if, if, you know, if it continues on this train of building communities in places where there weren't previously. So look down the road a little bit. What what do you see as being uh, among the most significant aspects of of this uh, type of worship that you think are going to start to emerge as the central elements and, and really start to define a new era of charismatics? Well, I think it will really kind of um, depend on which version of charismatic Christianity proves most successful. And, you know, in this conversation, when we mean successful, we mean keeping followers, um, right? Because it right now you, you see things like versions of charismatic Christianity that have existed for literally centuries that have, you know, communities that have been roughly the same spot for 200 years that are doing roughly the same thing as they have, you know, back in, you know, 1850. But mm -hmm. um, if this politicized version of charismatic Christianity continues to take hold, that's going to be really interesting because that, you know, that could lead to a certain kind of political and cultural relevance that charismatic Christians haven't held onto in the past. And the reason I bring that up in something that came up at this conference is that these, you know, these charismatic Christians who hadn't had access to power um, in the past few decades, you know, they were telling a story about how they prayed with um, U.S. Ambassador for Religious Freedom Sam Brownback uh, shortly before um, 
the the he they met for this big you know State Department gathering on the ministerial on um, religious freedom. I bring that up because it was a few days before Andrew Brunson, who is a pastor um, who was imprisoned um, in Turkey was released from prison and put under house arrest. And these charismatic Christians claimed that they're praying with Sam Brownback, which they say was at Brownback's, Brownback's request, is part of what ended up you know, getting um, this pastor out of detention and then ultimately um, released from prison and, and brought back to the United States. And they, they, they talked about that story at the outset of this conference and then announced that Andrew Brunson was actually speaking at the conference the next day. And they ended up cutting the feed while he was talking because presumably he was discussing elements about his release that were sensitive. And so now you have this faith group that has access to elements of um, the U.S. foreign policy where they feel more empowered, they feel more connected to power than they have in the past. And so uh, well, I say all that to mean that this would make these, this would give these um, charismatic leaders who often you know, only had their small community online. Um, significantly more power and significantly broader reach. And if that persists, then it's really likely that they could, they could attract more and more followers over time. Would Now, here's the, the follow-up question to that is whether or not politicized charismatic Christianity could survive. Because when you get involved with, when you mix religion and politics, you can be just as divisive as you can be unifying. But I would expect that these leaders see, you know, as we continue to see these charismatic Christians flood places like the Trump International Hotel to hear these people preach, um, they're going to keep holding those conferences till people stop showing up. And I don't see that slowing down anytime soon. What I'm hearing are, are so many different uh, sort of new takes on, on old ideas. Uh, all of the components of the charismatic Christianity are, are difficult to keep track of. And it, it all leads to a, a much more soupy kind of definition than I think I was hoping for at the beginning of this conversation. Am I wrong about that? No, I mean, you're absolutely right. The truth is charismatic Christianity is a hard thing to define. It's also a hard thing to get data on. It's hard to track who belongs to charismatic Christianity and who doesn't. It's hard to track specifically what, you know, um, they would claim as elements of their worship and which and things they wouldn't. Uh, in many ways, the reason for that is something else you pointed out, which is that this is an emerging and developing movement. It's been around for a while, but it's going through some shifts. And arguably, those shifts have begun since around the mid-20th century when they started being lumped in with Pentecostals. So, you know, we're, from, a, from an academic perspective, this group is fascinating because there's so many different inflections and pieces of it that it defies tidy descriptions. Um, but it's something that academics will often say, well, maybe it's hard to, to get it down all on paper and to make a bullet pointed list, but you know it when you see it. And so it's going to require a lot more, you know, on the ground journalism and academic investigation to get a better handle on what this movement actually is and what it's starting to look like. So this is something that, that's new and is going to be very interesting to watch on our topic, the charismatic Christians. Jack Jenkins, I would like you to have the last word on what to expect. Right. Well, so it might be difficult if charismatic Christianity hitched all of its wagons to the political winds, right? I mean, at one point during the conference, the, you know, the, one of the speakers you know, spoke at length about this version of American history that you know, is often described as Christian nationalism, where he attached Abraham Lincoln and Martin Luther King and you know, kind of talked about how they were spiritually connected and then and ended up connecting that to the modern political moment. All of these things that can be, you know, 
tenuous and, and can, can sometimes divide people. But it's important to remember that charismatic Christians, over and over and over again, find spiritual significance not just as what, in what is happening in the White House, but in everyday things as well. They feel that the spiritual warfare that they participate in is something that happens every day. To give an example, I remember at one point, one of the speakers jumped up on stage and said, you know, my brother over here said to me earlier, when he was standing outside the Trump International Hotel, he watched a car pull into the parking lot and he noticed that it was a Crown Vic and he heard God say to him, Crown Vic, victory crown, you have been crowned for victory. And then the entire crowd applauded. And what you see in that is a community that sees the divine in all things and sees prophecy in virtually anything. And that's, that's a difficult thing to argue away at the end of the day. This community you know, feels the, the, the presence of God in so many different places that even if the political winds shift, they will, I would expect, still find daily spiritual significance in other spaces. And we can certainly say they won't be the first to have found God in great big American cars. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. Jack, thank you so much for joining us on Beliefs. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Our guest was award-winning religion reporter Jack Jenkins, speaking with Beliefs producer Jonathan Woodward. The conversation continues on our Facebook page. More episodes are available wherever you get your podcasts. Beliefs is brought to you with the support of the Bernard L. Schwartz Center for Media, Public Policy, and Education at the Graduate School of Education at Fordham University. The theme music is by Edward Billis. I'm Bill Baker, and thanks for listening.